Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. have uh, one of my favorite people in the world, and probably one of the most famous people in the world, and a good buddy of Barack Obama's, Bobby Flay. <laughs> hey, Bobby. Nice introduction. <laughs> I've never been introduced like that before. I appreciate it. Well, we're going to get into some of those uh, stories, but um, <clears throat> as many people might know or might not know, but Bobby was um, <clears throat> in the first class at the French Culinary Institute. And uh, 19, so, 1984. 1984. So we go way back, mm-hmm. and we've just been reminiscing a lot. And maybe we can share that with you. And you were on the on the TV chef story too. Oh yeah, yeah. exactly. That was great. That was great. You're and, a good interviewer. That's why I look forward to well, this. Well, we'll see by the end of, <laughs> end of this thing. But um, you know, I, I want to only quickly. Most of the time, we go into people's backgrounds and childhood, and I'm just gonna ask you very quickly about that and they can refer to the book Chef Story is a okay. book uh, because I think um, what I really want to get into in your life is where your life is now mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of people have been watching you for a long time yeah. but I want to distill Bobby Flay today so let's quickly just go through your background you're, okay. you're a New York City boy I'm, I, yeah I was born and bred in New York City in Manhattan Right. Um, went to every Catholic school in New York <laughs> I, I, I'm very close to every saint in New York. Saint Ignatius, Saint you know Monica, Saint Stephen, Saint I mean, forget it. it went on forever. Um, ultimately, dropped out of high school in somewhere between ninth and tenth grade. Did you feel? Did you feel? Uh, what did you feel at that time? Did you feel stupid? No. Did you no? Did you feel angry? Disinterested. Disinterested. I just were, I was too busy to go to school. I don't really know what I was doing. I was playing a lot of pool. I actually got really good at pool. I had my own pool cue, um, and I was hanging out with my friends. I mean, just being a New York City kid. Wow. You have to play pool with Jacques Pepin's daughter, Claudine. She put oh. herself through college. Really? Meaning, yeah. I didn't know that about Claudine. I know. I, and you'll see her in Aspen or someplace, right. and you have to go off and play pool. Okay. But that's that. a little aside, but that's what you get on Chef's Story. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, so anyway, and how many times did you get kicked out of high school? Um, I want to inspire all the young people listening here today. <laughs> yeah, uh, don't drop out of high school. I mean, I, I probably got, I, I was either kicked out or dropped out a couple of times. And then finally my father said to me, uh, go get a job. And so I went and got a job um, actually at a restaurant that he was a partner at named Joe Allen's, which was it's still open. I mean, it's been it's open the for 40-something years. Yeah, it's sort of um, an American sort of iconic Broadway theater restaurant. Um, very, very classic American food. Like, you know, um, they're not trying to reinvent cuisine there. 
but it's been a it's been a place that a lot of people have eaten through the years. And I just I just started working there actually as a busboy for two weeks, and then um, when my job was over, I was just filling in for the busboy. The chef asked me basically on the way out. Of, I was literally on the way out of the restaurant for the last time, and he said to me, "Do you want a job in the kitchen?" I was like, "Sure." I mean, it wasn't I wasn't like bowled over by the idea. Did you love food then? Or was it, you know? Not really. I mean. You have to remember, that was 1983 or something, and, you know, I was 17 years old, and food in America had not blossomed at all. Um, you know, I cooked, like, I, the only thing I cooked at home was, like, you know, I made deviled eggs on my mom and mighty fine chocolate pudding. That was about it. My mother, and I, uh, my mother always gives me a hard time about when I talk about this, but, you know, she, like, my mother's idea of gourmet was cooking a pork chop opening a jar of Mott's applesauce and but she would gourmet it up by adding cinnamon <laughs> <laughs> so to this day I'm inspired by my mother's pork chops and applesauce um, so but you know then I started working in the kitchen you know um, in the salad station they taught me how to use a knife how to make dressings on and on and on did you do it just because your father said you had to have a job because I needed to... something to do okay I mean he I mean you know I guess I could have said no, and then who knows where I would have ended up. Right. But I said okay, and I started working. And then, like a few months later, I realized I really liked what I was doing. I remember sitting in my bed, like in the morning when you wake up, and staring at the ceiling, and thinking to myself, "I'm really looking forward to going to work today." I kind of actually remember that moment. What was it about the job at that time? Well, I was learning something. And did you like the camaraderie of the kitchen? I liked the kitchen. I liked I liked the fact that it was a brigade. Um, of people and um, I actually liked the fact that I was accomplishing something like yeah. I would help to prep some food that somebody was going to you know hopefully eat and like I mean so there was a beginning middle and, the, and an end as opposed to going to school where like you know I had to earn, learn English phrases I could care less I right. mean I just wasn't was interested um, and that's why I think vocational schooling is so important um, because we need more of it I think you know, even in the gram- in the high school, even at the high school level. Um, well, you were so good. You came back and made a scholarship. Yeah. Well, I, I taught in this school in um, Long, Long Island, Island City. City. Yeah. yeah, which was terrific. And you helped me with that. Um, it was great. I mentored this class for a year, and you know, we, you know, it, it was so nice to see that for forty three minutes every day, that these kids had this culinary class it was amazing I mean it's amazing that when I was in high school there was no such thing but we need more of that because not every kid learns the same way absolutely and there's such a demand in the industry for cooks that for sure know, we could really t- turn around high schools yeah I know I could use a few right now actually <laughs> alright so um, so so then you went to cooking school yeah I went to cooking school the French Culinary Institute and, yeah. and um, my first meeting was um, really at your dad's school, right. which was Apex Technical School. Right. And Apex Technical, people aren't going to remember this. I mean, some people will, but it's there was a famous. Around. But I know, but there was there was there was a famous commercial, and you yes. get to keep your tools. That's right. I mean, right. It was a bald guy. He was probably yeah. a real guy that he worked was. there. Okay. Yeah. And the whole thing was like, you get you know come to school and you get to keep your tools and like it was like this famous school in New York, and the French Culinary was being built downtown. And you guys were groundbreaking because it was Grand Street and Broadway, which was 
there was nothing there except for a bunch of New industrial York buildings. New York Magazine kindly said we were in China. The French Culinary Institute, which says it's in Soho, but really yeah. is in Chinatown. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know? Right. We got slammed. Yeah, well. There. But, but it was, we were ahead of our time. Yeah, and so basically, I the only thing I had to go on were blueprints of the school. And a guy named, I forget his name, John something. Powell. Okay, yes. Powers. Powell. Okay. Yeah. He, he rolled out the blueprints. It was me and my dad. Joe Allen, actually, the guy that owned Joe Allen's said to me there's a new school opening you should go check it out so then we just then I decided to go there and I remember I mean this, you know you guys were building the school around me yeah I mean as we were going to school there were, I mean, there were 11 in your class you I think the there were less first, no there were 11 you sure I know I, I think know. it was 9 it's our 30th year next oh. year we're going to be celebrating 30th that class. year yeah. oh my god Cameron Forbes remember sure. all these people yeah, yeah. we we'll try to get, it, get everybody back yeah yeah so um, yeah, so that's how it that's how it started, and I was and, and and frankly, I wasn't a good student at FCI either. No, you were voted least likely to succeed. Oh, really? Yeah, because and not because of your t- you know your skills. I just I know I would cut out of school there too. Exactly. My father's like, you're even cutting out of culinary school. I'm like, Dad, and I was the youngest in the school by like by in, in, five or six years. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was like I was like 18, and then the next person was like 25. Right. You know, and then there were some second careers. Right, um, and Antoine, the chef, really kind of took you. Yeah, Antoine was this young. He was at the time, I think he was thirty. Yeah, um, and Antoine Shavers, he was terrific. The Alsatian, yeah, born, from, um, and from he was Paris. Yeah, he came from the school. Yeah. He was terrific. Anyway, he had great energy. He was a great hire. I thought to kick off the school. He was wonderful. He was anyway. So then you got out of school, and did you go to work? Uh, no, what did you do exactly when you got out of school? Well, I continued to work at Joe Allen's while I was going to school. Joe Allen actually handed me. The check for the tuition. Do you remember how much it was? Six thousand dollars. Sixty-eight hundred bucks. Sixty-eight. I remember it. You remember? Oh yeah, because I I walked in basically day one and said, "Here you go." Um, you know, Joe basically said to me, "This is not. You don't owe me this money. Maybe one day you'll be an asset to me down the line. I, I, I this is something I want to do." I mean, he wow. was very good at at sort of paying it forward. This was thirty years ago. Yeah, and I and I've learned. From his um, goodwill to to try to use some of that in what I do now, um, I think it's I think it's really important to sort of pay it forward. But anyway, so he was he he funded my tuition, and um, and I you know I launched my my uh, my culinary education at, at FCI. So where did you go <clears throat> first when? When you got out of school, because I know you opened you opened a restaurant in Brooklyn in Coney Island or Brighton no. Beach. No, no, that's not me. Oh, <laughs> another Bobby Flay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I um, I actually there was a restaurant uptown called the Brighton Grill on the Upper oh, East Side. Why I guess I thought Brighton Beach. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was hired as a sous chef, and the restaurant right before the restaurant opened, and they had hired another chef from New Orleans. Um, and a week into the restaurant being open, they fired the chef for basically being drunk every night. Mm. It's that it's that sort of sort of the obvious chef story, you know, that we've heard so many times. <laughs> the chef's been drinking, been sipping at the wine, you know, mm-hmm. but he wasn't drinking wine; he was drinking tequila and a lot of it. Wow! And so, basically, a week into the restaurant's opening, I was a chef, and I was not ready to be the chef. But I held it together for about a year. And finally I said, I can't do this anymore. I was exhausted. I was exhausted just 
forget about the physical part of it. I was young, so the physical part wasn't an issue. The emotional part. Um, I was afraid to hire people that were better than I was. Mm. And let's face it, there was a lot of people that were better than I was because I had just graduated school. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's one of the things that I think, and I find it hard to believe that people don't understand this, but they just don't. That when you go to culinary school and you graduate successfully, you are not a chef, right? And everybody thinks that that's it. Now you're a chef. You can cook anything you want in the world. And you, and so what do you, you have to, to do when you get out of culinary you get, you need to take You need to take an entry-level position. Mm-hmm. You know, the world has changed so much now in the culinary world, mostly for the good, some for the not-so-good, because when there's success, there's always things that sort of get in the way of, of, of all the good. But, you know, when I, was, when I was going to culinary school, it was really simple. I mean, life was simple in the culinary world, especially in this country. Graduated, you graduate culinary school and you go get an entry-level job in a restaurant, period. Now, there was catering companies, of course, maybe some food styling. Now, there's so many things that are possibilities, you know, with all the media that's going on mm-hmm. now. Um, it's, it's basically, you know, with, you know you, it's Disney Journalism, World. nutrition, I, school food. You know, and everybody wants to be on TV. Yeah. Which has been a has been great for the boom of of the culinary world, but it's also misleading to people, I believe. And well, we'll get into that in a, in okay. a little bit. So, in that early <clears throat> formative stage of your life, if you gave me the three top things that you think really propelled you to be who you are today, or the three greatest influences. Well, Jonathan Waxman was the first person to show me what real food, real good food is. You know, Joe Joe Allen's was great as a as a as a starting point, but as I said before, they weren't trying to revolutionize food. Jonathan Waxman had come from California. He opened a restaurant called Jams, and then he opened another restaurant called Buds, and then he opened another restaurant called Hulot's, which was a French bistro. I worked in all three of those restaurants, and I was really surrounded by great cooks. Not just Jonathan, who was is a, is a great cook even today, but uh, all the people that he hired, they were all spectacular cooks. And that's how you learn. That's how you learn how to cook. It frustrates me when people say to me, I graduated from culinary school, I don't feel like I learned anything. You don't know what you've learned because you haven't used it practically. You have to actually go into the field and utilize the things that you've learned. And then the light bulb goes off and, they, and you say, oh yeah, you know what? I did learn this technique at the French Culinary Institute or ICC. ICC sorry. International See, Culinary I'm, 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 going, getting... I'm going old school on you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, but and that's how you know. Like every day I cook in my restaurants, I'm using techniques that I learned at school. Every day, yeah. and I always will for the rest of my life. If you don't go to school, how long would it take you to learn all of those techniques? Well, the problem with it is that if you don't go to school, and I know some people think that it's okay not to go to school. Listen, there have been success stories where people don't go to school, they work for other people, and they come off. They come out of there and they open their own restaurants and they're successful. Of course, that we, there are definitely stories that way. But I think to save your bet, going to culinary school is a great idea because that's where you're going to learn the basics. That's where you're going to learn the basic techniques that you need to build layers of flavor and ingredients and on and on to actually be able to create your own things. Like I can hire a, a really ambitious, smart person to come and work in my restaurant who's never cooked in a restaurant before. And I will absolutely teach them how to make my dishes in that restaurant at that very moment. But they're not going to know 
why it's working and why it's not working. They're not going to know how to fix something that's broken. Um, and being able to create their own things is going to be a lot more difficult if they don't understand the basics. Why am I using fennel in this? You know, why, why does fennel work with, you know, I don't know, with salmon caviar? Like, wh- what, you know, there's, there's, there's just, you'll be able to execute the things in front of you, but the things beyond you are going to be harder to do. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a little break and we're going to come right back. Okay. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. We support Heritage Radio Network because all you folks listening are so genuine, so dedicated to serious food, so much a part of what this country needs to strive to become. People like you are few and far between, and it's obvious to us at Fairway that we've got to stick together. Our desire is that the word gets out about Heritage Radio Network in its support for serious food, foodstuffs that offer memorability and, and timelessness, authenticity and, and rarefied quality. This country grew too fast to have established any degree of a heritage. Europe had centuries to develop one. America has not. Heritage Radio Network serves to hasten the evolution of a society that often appears coarse and uninterested. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Chef's Story. And today I'm interviewing Bobby Flay in his offices on Broadway in New York City. And um, we've kind of heard about his formative years. And I'm going to kind of skip over your chefing years and go to today, because I think there's a lot happening in your life today. And um, I I just want to go on the record saying, I think most people know Bobby from his TV shows. But I actually eat his food in his restaurants and uh, it's not just me, but our deans. And Alain Sayak, who's one of the most respected deans um, and chefs in the city, we think Bobby is one of the best chefs working in America today. Oh, from a food, a food perspective and <clears throat> the intelligence that you bring. And, and I think you're really underrated by colleagues and the public mm-hmm. as a chef because you're on TV. And, and yeah. they, don't, they, they don't understand... How do you how do you how do you feel? Do you feel like a, a, a chef first, immediate personality second, or sometimes is that in flux? How do you how do you approach food and like tell me what's it like being in your situation? Uh, well, I feel lucky to be in my situation because I'm I'm able to do. Listen, food is the thing that uh, is my life. I mean, it's the thing I love to to do in terms of. Um, Work and it's also the thing that I like to do in terms of pleasure. Um, I always, I always tell people I do the same thing at work as I do to relax, which is cook. And um, <clears throat> I'm always going to be a cook or a chef first. Always, the media stuff has been terrific because it's opened up a lot of doors. But I, frankly, I don't care about it. It's not, it's not the thing that really gets me excited. It's something. It's an opportunity. It, it, I've there's opportunities. That I've been given, and I would be um, foolish not to take advantage of those opportunities to um, to be in the media. Because now every chef would like to be in the media. Almost every chef. Um, do you have to be to make have successful restaurants, or no. you have eighteen burger places? Yeah. Do you think if you weren't, um, it'd be harder. It would be harder. Yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, when I when the Food Network first started, um, I was on the Food Network. Okay, we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this week. 
a lot of chefs were like, why are you doing that? You're a chef. You're not supposed to be on TV. And I said, okay, don't, don't, don't do it. But now every chef, of course, has wanted their own TV show, or, and, and most of them have them. I mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's really interesting thing. It's like when people, when you say like you're underrated as a chef, I'm only underrated as a chef because they want me to be underrated as a chef. They don't, they don't want to give me the credit of doing what I do every day, which is actually go to my Who's restaurants they? and cook. My, you know, the, the industry. The industry. You know? Now, it's only, it's only the industry, it's the, it's the people in this industry that don't know me. The people in the industry that do know me know exactly what I do every single day. And those are the people that I really care about, frankly. Yeah. Um, and so that whole adage, first of all, I think that I've survived um, this business now for close to 30 years. So obviously I'm doing something than just being on television. I mean, people still come to my restaurants every day, a lot. Um, we're opening a new restaurant downtown called Gato, which is going to be the next version of my Spanish restaurant, Bolo, although we're going to utilize a lot of the Mediterranean, not just Spain. And so um, to answer your question simply, uh, I'm a cook first, always. You have an extraordinary talent being a media personality because a lot of chefs have gone on and done one-off you know, shows and they don't get asked back. Right. And you kind of exponentially grow. You've got multiple shows going at the same time. Have you, I mean, you just kind of fell into it? Have you done anything like go to school to improve it? No. Or do you get coaching? Or no. Why do you think you're so successful? And do you feel like it's a talent or do you just go there and be yourself? Oh, it's totally, I mean, it's not... I don't think I'm. I don't. I don't think I have talent for TV. I just. I am who I am, and um, lucky enough that you know pe- some people want to watch me. I mean, that's what it comes down to. But but and I think I think there are the, a lot of it has to do with my foundation. I don't do anything on TV that um, that I don't enjoy doing in terms of food. So whatever I'm up to in my restaurant life is what gets transferred onto TV. Like, if somebody said to me, we, we're going to put a really, we're going to, we're going to, um, there's a new show and we want you to be the star of it and we want you to put on some stupid outfit and be some French chef that, you know, you're, that you're really not. And I'm like, that's, a lot of people would say yes because they, they'll be on TV. I say no all the time. I'm only going to be myself on TV and I'm only going to do things that I think um, will enhance or show off exactly who I am. And that's, I think, is really important, is just to really stay true to what's important to you, what your passions are, mm-hmm. and how you want to be perceived. Mm-hmm. I, I can tell you right now, the same people who want to um, say that I'm underrated as a chef, or think that I'm not as good as a chef as you know maybe they want to admit, are the same people who do anything to be on TV. Mm-hmm. And that I know. Mm-hmm. So how has your cooking changed in the last 30 years? I, I, I think... How, you know, you can say yeah. about trends. I mean, you've been in the industry a long time. Yeah. I, you know, uh, I think that most people would say the, would answer the same thing if they've been cooking for 30 years. How has your food changed? I think it's gotten simpler. Mm-hmm. Because as time goes on, you get more confident. Mm-hmm. And so you need less bells and whistles, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, to put a, a confident plate of food in front of someone. Um, you know, I've adopted, um, well, a couple of different things. I mean, I've adopted America as a place to, um, to use as a, as a jumping off place in terms of 
really studying the regions of America, mm -hmm. not just um, new American food, which to me is new American food to me is just the next version of continental cuisine. I mean, it is. What a great statement. Well, it's true. Because, like... And, and, Explain and a, continental yeah, cuisine. Be, because, because some people don't know what No, because if you're in your 30s <laughs> yes, or below, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> but basically, like, you know, growing up in New York, there were, there were Chinese restaurants, and then there were Italian restaurants, and then there were continental cuisine restaurants and French restaurants. Continental, continental cuisine restaurants were, like, basically American versions of um, European dishes, you know, uh, and it was basically anything that they feel, felt like cooking from like Chinese chicken salad to chicken parmesan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, and so new American cuisine is really the next version of continental cuisine. I don't think it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that basically new American cuisine is saying I'm an American chef and I'm going to utilize any influence from around the world that I want to, to make it mine. Mm -hmm. Okay. Regional American cuisine is very much more specific to America. Mm -hmm. It's like being inspired by places like Louisiana and New Orleans and, you know, the American Southwest and the mm -hmm. Pacific Northwest and mm -hmm. the, you know, the Southeast where we have all this Cuban influence. So it's like I, I really use America um, as, a, as a true jumping off place where mm -hmm. there's actually real stories, real dishes, real history mm -hmm. to the food. Mm -hmm. Tell me one of the dishes in the last 30 years that you're most proud of, and how did you conceive it? <laughs> uh, to get into your mind as a chef, like just think back when one of the dishes you're most proud of. Well, I think that, you know, Mesa Grill, um, I have three Mesa Grills, and we, we just closed the one in New York after 23 years. Um, we lost our lease. It's another New York story, you know. That happened um, at Bolo too, right? Well, Bolo, they just, they, not only did we lose our lease, but they actually knocked the building down. So they made sure we couldn't reopen. <laughs> but, um, you know, there, there was a, there's a dish on the Mesa Grill menus, and, you know, we still have them now in the Bahamas and Las Vegas. And we're going to reopen the next version of Mesa Grill. I'm not really sure if I'm going to call it Mesa Grill or it's going to be the next generation. I don't, you know, we'll yeah. see what happens. Anyway. There was a dish there. It was the one dish that was there from the day we opened to the day we closed. One dish. And it was a, a shrimp and roasted garlic um, fresh corn tamale. And the thing, I, the thing I loved about it was sort of what we were just talking about, where I took the idea of a tamale, which is obviously something that started in Mexico but then crossed the border into the southwest of America. And instead of using just dried corn, I used fresh corn. And instead of using um, lard, I used butter. That was my French Culinary Institute influence, of course. <laughs> and, then, um, and then instead of just making it peasant food, I updated it and was able to charge, you know, $16 as an appetizer for it. But, you know, I steamed it in a corn husk, traditionally the masa, and then I made a sauce out of, uh, you know, roasted garlic and fresh corn and cilantro and these beautiful shrimp that were sautéed to order. So it was, it was really a New Yorker's version of sort of an updated dish. I mean, I always, I always would say that, you know, I'm really a New York chef. Like, the thing that I try to do is, is feed New Yorkers the way they want to be fed. And I don't, really, I don't even know what that means. But, you know, being a native New Yorker, I'm rare. <laughs> and so um, I feel like I have a responsibility um, to um, putting out good food as a New Yorker 
for people that actually live in New York or visit here. Great. We're going to take another break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Chef Story, and today's guest is Bobby Flay. And we've just kind of gotten into his mind as a chef. And I kind of want to not discount the media person, but I think, I think in speaking with you and just watching your career, which I've done very closely, um, you've got six fine dining restaurants, 18 uh, burger restaurants, uh, which are highly successful. Yeah. You know, and... And they're fun. That's the thing right. I Right. And, and, you know, people look at Danny Meyer with Shake Shack and they get all excited. Wow, what a businessman he is, mm-hmm. you know? Um, restaurateur. Well, you are too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got as many... I don't know how many Shake Shacks he has right now, but you're all over. You're working in the um, casinos. You've mm-hmm. got uh, your own restaurants. You've got uh, franchises. You're a business guy, and talking to you uh, just before we even started the interview, uh, you talk like a businessman. Uh, you've got you've got that framework. It's like you did an MBA on the side. <laughs> so how do you how do you feel on the streets you, of New York? Yeah, as a chef, how do you feel? Are you a business person? Yeah, definitely. Okay, and tell me how how much of the DNA has to be to be you and do what you do today. How much of your DNA has to be business? Uh, well, I have to be a businessman every day. Um, you know, I, I have 1,600 employees. No. Oh, yeah. Really? Well, wow. I have a lot of restaurants. So, <laughs> right. And I also have my own production company um, called Rock Shrimp Productions, and we produce a lot of television. But, um, and so I have, a, I have a lot of employees, so I have to be the, at the helm of those things every day. And that includes um, not only making business decisions, but dealing with people. And which is the hardest thing to do. My father always told me that that's the hardest thing you're ever going to do, which is deal with people. And um, he's right. And it can be very difficult, but at the same time, even much more so rewarding. And, you know, I spent a lot of my day, a lot of my day inspiring people to do the best job that they, could, they, that they can do and inspiring them to be more important to what I do. How do you inspire your staff? I mean, you've got 1,600 yeah. How do you inspire 1,600 people? There's only one way to do it. You have to go there and be there and inspire people. So, for instance, like today I'm in my office and I'm, I'm having people um, – let me just think of a few things I did this morning. Uh, there's a woman uh, in my office in Jen Lee who um, is very much involved in – we call it the BBP. It's Bobby Burger Palace in, 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 the op- in those operations. And so one of the things – we have a couple of our uh, – burger palaces on campuses and so one of the things I'm trying now is to create something called BBPU University which is to get students from that particular campus involved in promoting BBP and being ambassadors so we did it um, at uh, University of Maryland and so I'm going to meet our new BBP ambassadors these kids have been amazing and so energetic what ex- what do they do as ambassadors you know they they work in the restaurants a little bit um, they uh, they 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 encourage their um, fellow students to come to the restaurant we create events for them and we make it very easy for them to be part of Bobby's Burger Palace in their community 
and so it's not just a restaurant it's more of an event um, and so that's really growing um, you know tomorrow morning I'm going to be co-hosting with Rachel Ray um, who's been a good friend of mine for a really long time so we're going over I was going over some, uh, some, of, some of those details when you when you uh, actually walked in um, and then this afternoon I'm going to Bar American I'm changing um, three or four dishes on the menu tonight so I'll be in my whites cooking there and I'll be inspiring those people in the kitchen there and the wait staff and on and on it just never ends mm. um, I'm not complaining I love it I mean, this is this is what I signed up for, and I'm I'm lucky that it's I actually have the opportunity. Who are the people you admire in the industry? Does anybody is anybody come to mind that inspires you? How do you how do you get inspired? I, I get inspired by lots of people. I mean, I I think that I mean I'm a student of life. That's that's how I learn. I really learn. I know you're you're a formal educator, but like I needed I needed the, I needed the French Culinary Institute as it was called then as a place to really get my creative juices going. I couldn't learn just by reading books or by, you know, textbooks. And so the thing I loved about your school was that, you know, you, know, you give me some utensils, some, some tools, knives, some of my chef whites, and I can actually practically cook. Then I get something at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Like the chicken chef sore is done and I can taste what it's supposed to taste like. Right. To me, that's, that's accomplishment. Um, and so I, I constantly have to do that, even with my, with my staff. I teach, I teach people the same way. But I guess my question is more, uh, in that kind of inspiration, and you're saying uh, the feet of the farmer is the best manure, you know, going to, the, to your locations and having them draw some of Bobby's energy, yeah. getting Bobby's wisdom. But when you have people drawing from you, how do you get the well refilled? Uh, by experience, experiencing things, going to people's restaurants, traveling. Whenever I travel somewhere, I always come back with inspiration for my menus. Um, whenever I go and eat somebody's restaurant, there's always something that I think, man, that's such a great idea. I wish I would have thought of that. But I utilize it for myself. You know, I don't consider it stealing. We all borrow from each other. One of the great things about the restaurant business in general around the world is that it's very generous. It's a very gen- it's, it's, it's really interesting. I think it's the mo- it may be the most generous industry in the world, period, um, because we are competitive with each other. Um, the competition is very fierce, but I think the camaraderie is even fiercer. Passing employees back and forth, recipes, ideas, um, sources. I mean, I, I would say that most industries that are competitive with each other would absolutely not be as, uh, as generous as, as the restaurant business is. You're such a uh, promoter and cheerleader of American cuisine. Where do you think American chefs stand today in international chefs' eyes? I mean, we were talking 30 years ago. Everybody went to France every year and ate at the temples of gastronomy. Nobody does that anymore. Occasionally, people drop in in France. Where does the American chef today, where where are they in the hierarchy of chefs from around the world? Well, I I think that... um I think I think that American chefs are, are kicking ass and taking names right now, and I don't think it can be disputed. I'm sure that maybe some chefs from different parts of the world might might say, you know, that, you know, American chefs aren't quite up to the up to the rest of the world. But I I completely disagree. In fact, I feel like we're surpassing a lot of the um, the places that were always so much better than we were. Um, and I think that American I think that American chefs are really um, inspiring 
the rest of the world as well. I think it's been an amazing 20 years, I would say, um, to watch the transformation. What happened in America? We, caught, we, we finally caught up to the rest of the world. But how we were, did we catch that wave? Why did, we, why did it happen in 1980, do you think? Do you, you ever reflect on that? I mean, I just, you know, listen, I, I, I give Wolfgang Puck a lot of credit. I mean, he, to me, it's, it's really funny. It's like, I always say, like, Wolfgang revolutionized the way we look at food in this country, but it took an Austrian to do it. I mean, you know, it's like, but, you know, to this day, I mean, I, I see, and Wolfgang is a good friend of mine. I mean, he's a, we're really good friends. But every time I see him, I, I kind of, I'm in awe. The guy is amazing. And, and the thing I love about him is, it's just kind of what I was talking about before, and, and, and uh, people like him inspire me. He cares about the food first. Like you, you go. First of all, the guy is magic. You go to his restaurants. I feel like every time I go to one of his restaurants, he's there, and he's got like he's got millions of restaurants, but he's always there in his white, and he's got his towel over his shoulder, and he's like, and he's like, sent, you know, cooking for you. It's like crazy, you know. But he's he, so he's inspirational. He's very inspirational. I mean, you know, Wolfgang. Look, before Wolfgang Puck, good food in this country was only very high end. Um, in very quiet dining rooms, right? Yes. And that was the best food in America, period. Wolfgang was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take smoked salmon and duck sausage. We're going to put them on a pizza, and you're going to love it. And you know what? We did. And he, he made good food. He, he basically told us that good food could be whimsical, but still be thought of as great food. And it is. And that's, what's hap- that's what happened. He made it okay for every... He gave somebody like me a career. Um, he gave me the opportunity. And so I always... And, and sometimes, like just like you were saying to me, some people say, Wolfgang Puck, you mean the guy that has you know, the airport restaurants? I'm like, yeah, Wolfgang Puck, exactly. He is absolutely one of the most inspirational people in American food history, period. And he's still going. Oh, yeah. He's still... Oh, yeah, totally going. Um, a lot of people would look at you industry, competitors, uh, young, young people who want to be a chef. I mean, you're, you're probably one of the most iconic chefs for the high school crowd or, you know, uh, young people, and they love your style. And they probably think, oh, man, I'd love to be him. <laughs> you know, and, wow, he's so lucky, or he's got such a life. Do uh, you have any regrets? You know, what are your... You know, if you're looking back, is there something you would change in your life? Because everybody thinks your life must be perfect. No, my life's far from perfect. Listen, I listen. I we all we all make mistakes. And I we I I make them every day. Um, one of the things that I do almost every single day is I lay it on the line. I lay it out there, and I know that I'm going to get criticized sometimes for things. People aren't going to love exactly what I'm doing, but. It's the only way that I can sort of be a free spirit um, in terms of, you know, the way I run my businesses and the way I cook my food. Give me an example. I don't understand that. Okay. Lay it on the line. Well, I'm not afraid what people are going to think. And I think that that's what's really important. I think that, I think that if you... What I'm, well, all I'm saying is that if you hold yourself back, you're never actually going to be able to show people what you're really made of. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I did a dish when we first opened Bolo. <laughs> Um, Ruth Reichel was the critic for the New York Times at the time. And I created this dish that I thought was going to revolutionize paella, okay? Um, it was 
arborio rice, and it was it was lobster. It was a lobster and duck paella. It sounds perfectly fine, right? Um, and I used lobster stock, and I made duck stock, and I had different cuts of the duck in there, and lobster, and on and on and on. And like my staff, my business partner, my family, like we were trying out the dishes, and everybody was like, uh, and I was like, this is going to be the dish that's going to make bolo. I was convinced, okay? And everybody was eating it, and they're like, this is not good. I mean, it's not working, Bobby. It's just not working. Like, it's, there's too much going on, and what, I forget what it was. And I was like, okay, you're all wrong, okay? This is the dish. You, you're not getting it. And I laid it out there. And Ruth Reichel came in and gave us a great review. However, she spent a paragraph and a half talking about how bad this dish was. <laughs> And she actually described how she was concerned for the lobster. She was hoping that the lobster was going to actually be able to crawl out of the sh- out of the bowl to get away. <laughs> so, like, okay, that, that's a great. That's an example of like, I was determined to make this thing the dish of my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it was awful. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I couldn't see it, but it didn't matter. I was gonna. I was gonna. I was gonna try it, mm-hmm. and I learned my lesson. Mm-hmm. I took it off the menu right. and never to be seen again. But it took, you know, the New York Times restaurant critic, thankfully she liked everything else. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it could have been a disaster. But, you know, no risk, no reward. I think it's, real, it's, it's an old adage. It's really important. Mm-hmm. You must take the risks. Mm. So, piece of advice to someone today who wants to follow in your footsteps. Piece of advice on being a chef piece of advice on going into media and piece of advice on being a business person well I think that I get asked this question a lot um, and uh, most, of, most of the time it's, it's usually an, individ, some, an, an, an individual is asking me this or a mother is asking me for her son mm. and they never really like my answer mm. Um, and basically the theme of my answer is slow growth go slow mm-hmm. and in this world of you know I'm on my computer here right now it's just like you know we want everything in a snap mm-hmm. it doesn't work that way mm-hmm. I'm not saying you can't become you know let's say well known on TV overnight because we've seen that mm-hmm. but also um, we've seen that go away quickly too. Mm-hmm. Just as I build the layers of flavors in my dishes, mm-hmm. I build the layers of my career the same way. Mm-hmm. It's very slow. So, some time ago, a long time ago, I decided I was going to be a chef because mm-hmm. I liked it. And the first thing I did was I learned how to cook, mm-hmm. which I will always continue to do. Mm-hmm. But I knew that that was my foundation. Joe Allen actually said to me, you don't get this now, but cooking can take you anywhere in the world. And this is before Wolfgang Puck made a noise. Mm-hmm. So he had a vision, and he was right. And now today it can take you into outer space. Yeah. But, and so what I tell people is if you really want to follow my career and do what I did, learn how to cook first. Always put food and cooking first. Always. It's the most important thing in my life. Mm-hmm. Learn how to say no to things. Mm. I always say to people that 
it's not the things that you do that make you, it's the things you don't do. Mm-hmm. Um, so if something, if, some, if, if an opportunity comes your way and your initial gut reaction is, mm, that might be good for me because I might become famous or financially uh, well off, but it's kind of cheesy. Don't do it. Yeah. Okay? If it compromises. A lot of people take the money and the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I always say if somebody's asking you now, they'll ask you again. And it'll be a better situation the next time. Mm-hmm. Say, Learn how to say no to things. It's very important. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think from a, from a business standpoint, I think it's important to build your infrastructure. I continue to hire people who are... I hire people for two reasons. If they're ambitious... And if they're nice, I don't care about anything else. Everything else, I can teach them. But I can't teach them that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have wonderful people that work for me. Like the, I have people left me. I have four assistants. Um, I, we, we created the chef assistant. When I first had a, had a chef assistant, my, all my chef friends were like, you have, an, you have somebody answering your phone? You've got to be kidding me. But it's the only way you can grow. Is my you, God, it's an industry. Now. Well, now it is. But <laughs> Stephanie Banyas, yeah. I mean, she basically created the the entire industry. Yeah. I mean, she's been with me for almost eighteen years. Yeah. I mean, you need people to really help you be who right. you are. <laughs> right. Right. So building it is really important. Um. If you if you had um, all the money in the world, and if you had it was easy. You could take a wand. What would you do with it? What would I do with it? Yeah, yeah. Well, wait. It doesn't even have to be food. It doesn't have to do with your career. I'm just saying, if, you know, let's say you had no more responsibilities. What would I do with my life? Yeah, yeah. Like, if, is there anything out there? Is there a dream out there? Yeah. What would it be? I would... Um, Hmm. I would. The pile buy, of money as big as the pyramid. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't need that much money, but I need a little money for this. <laughs> which is, I would. I would move to Italy. Oh. Um, and buy some great farmhouse mm-hmm. with lots of people working there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I would cook lunch for my wife every single day. And drink a bottle of wine at lunch, and um, learn to speak Italian fluently, and that's it. Wow. Well, my bucket, my bucket list is: I want to learn how to speak Italian, but I know I have to live there for that. Or you can come do our Italian course. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> I'll learn how to make awesome pasta and risotto, but I, I don't think I'll be able to learn how to speak Italian. Well, this has been great. Thanks. So it's much. always good to see you. Always good to see you. And your congratulations on the success of your. Oh. Your businesses. Oh, and you too. All right. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton. I'd like to thank our producers, Robin Cohen and Jack Inslee. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.